Hello, deconstruction community. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger, a show that gives a platform for people to share their stories of surviving toxic religious environments. As a trigger warning, a lot of topics on this show will revolve around religious trauma, mental health, and spiritual abuse. Hello, everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger, and here I have my guest, Jagasis. How are you doing? I am well. Thank you for having me. Oh, yes, of course. And, like, not gonna lie, like, at first, I really struggled to say that name. Like, it blew my <laughs> mind. When I first heard of you, I was like, Jagasis is interesting. Because, you know, we think of Jesus and, I'm like, Jagasis. That's interesting. Yes. And now it's hard for me to say, to be honest. <laughs> like, I'm not going to lie. There's so many videos where I start rolling with it. And usually I put it right in the front of my video. Uh, and I have to do two or three takes. Because I'm like, Jagasis. And now. Whenever I think of Jesus, now I think of you. Like, your image pops in my mind. I'm like, from now on, it's... I love it, though. It's so funny. I'm not going to say that's the goal, but that's <laughs> kind of the goal. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I usually give a little intro for the guests, but if you want to, you are free to do so yourself, if you would like to. Okay. Um, yeah, so my name is Jagazus. I am a content creator in what we would call, like, deconstruction talk. My primary residence, if you will, or my primary following is on TikTok. I'm one of those millennials that joined during the pandemic out of sheer boredom and curiosity. And yeah, it kind of took off and has grown a following since there. And I just teach um, religious history and deconstruction and just, I guess, the things that I didn't get to learn about when I was involved in the church. And just bringing the community together in a way where we could all discuss and debate and hopefully usually in a standard moral, like moral, that's a bad word, but uh, <laughs> in a respectful way to each other. It's not always because trolls exist. Yes. But it's, a, it's a fun, good time. I'm having fun out here. <laughs> yes, I definitely, I love your content so much. And it's just so interesting for me because, like, I officially escaped fundamentalist Christianity back in January of this year. And oh, wow. yes, I know, so recent. And I've been in really? therapy for religious trauma, basically. Good. And it's just been so interesting the cognitive dissonance that happens, even when you left and, like, mm -hmm. when you don't believe those things anymore, because, you know, just, I don't know if you know me well enough, but, you know, I came out as gay back in January on Joshua Harris's IG live show, basically. Wow. And I And I went to Bob Jones University um, okay. <laughs> in Greenville, South Carolina. So you were in it. You were, like, deep in there. And <laughs> yes. recently escaped in a whole bunch of directions. Gay yes. And leaving fundamentalism. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I know my life has changed so much in the last few yeah. months. So for, for the better, honestly. And, but yeah, on his show, I talked about um, religious trauma and how mm -hmm. I struggled so much with mental health and how it took me so long to realize that because I was indoctrinated and sheltered into that sure. environment. And so the hardest thing for me with the cognitive dissonance was like being scared of things I no longer believed in, like hell, for instance. That's like that was, one, a, yeah. that was really hard for Rapture, me. Rapture, anxiety. <laughs> yes. And fear of hell is a huge one. 
And I'm like, I I don't believe in these things anymore, but like, it still bothers me. And like, you know, as I- That's how indoctrination works. It goes into your psyche. Like it's subconscious and it's it's a hard thing to work through. Yeah, I totally get it. Almost definitely. And like, it's really helped me as I learn more about trauma and how, Mm -hmm. you know, it's really in your body and your mind. And yeah. it does take time, even though you might rationally not believe it anymore, but subconsciously, like you said, yeah. those things are still in there. So like leading up to that, it's just so interesting because I was always taught to have this very extremely respectful and reverence view of Jesus. So then when I see your TikTok to gazes, I was immediately triggered. And I'm like, yep. I don't even, I don't even... Me. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, wait, like, I don't even care, though. Like, I'm not even a Christian. (laughs) This is cool, though. Like, it was just when you've been indoctrinated to literally worship this man for so long. And you've been indoctrinated that, like, being gay is the worst thing ever. And you so much internalized homophobia and Mm self-hatred, all those things. So, like, it was definitely, like, incredible to just see you be yourself on TikTok and use their idol (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to spread your message of love and light, which is really was supposed to be the main reason what Jesus was supposed to do. Yeah. But the, the evangelicals just really twisted him up and really fucked him up a lot. But... They've done a number to it. They have done a number <laughs> to it. And, like, that's the thing I've always said is, like, I don't claim to be any kind of divine creature. But ironically, like, the way I approach things and the way I have my world views aligns so much more with Jesus than the image they think that I'm desecrating. And it's just, it's been an interesting dichotomy, kind of cognitive dissonance, like you said, of fighting Mm -hmm. that as well. Because the evangelicals, I call them more so like Paulians, like the religion has became very Paul heavy and very Mm. little to do with Jesus. Jesus is the savior and Paul is the teacher. And so that's kind of the the mirror I like to hold up to people on their beliefs and say like, are you really following in Christ's footsteps or are you following in whatever your pastor said on Sunday? They're two different things. <laughs> yes. That's so interesting because, you know, I grew up um, in a fundamentalist church and, you know, in that kind of environment, you're taught that all scripture is inspired by God. And I yeah. would never think of like, Oh, well, Paul wrote this. This is not what Jesus said, because, like, I saw it as all the same, which is kind of what I was taught. It's all God's it, word, right. Yes, and so, but then as I got older and began questioning things, and, you know, in the Bible, you know, and a lot of Bibles, they have their red lettering for what supposedly, supposedly, that Jesus said. Yeah. And then you have, you know, what's recited from mm-hmm. these writers. And so as I got older, I was like, how do we actually know that this is written by God, like, and then I hear people say, oh, well, the Bible says so. And I was like, well, that's like a circular argument yes, right there. Yes. Like, I'm We're sorry. We're turning in circles here. <laughs> my, and, my favorite part about that is the Bible. Well, yeah, it's again, all the Bible, but the only verse that we could look to for inerrancy is Paul. Because of course it is. It's always Paul. <laughs> yes, it's, it's Paul. Paul. You're using Paul to prove Paul that Paul said it's it's going around in circles. <laughs> and so it was really, really hard for me to really, I guess you would say, deconvert from Christianity mm-hmm. because I was a hardcore fundamentalist growing up in this mm-hmm. environment. And like the truth is, like I really, I guess, had to be 
to be loved and accepted in his family community because yeah. I was homeschooled my entire life. Like uh-huh. my entire bubble was like fundamentalist Christianity. So there's not really a choice there. It's either no. survive or just die of depression. Literally, like it's just awful. Yeah. And so what I'm most curious about is your upbringing and like how did that influence you to create the Jagazis character? Yeah. So, I mean, my upbringing was not nearly, I hope, as as closed off as you. So that's the good news. That's the win. I'm sorry for what you've <laughs> It's all good. Yeah. Uh, um, but I was raised originally Southern Baptist. Uh, but that was my very, very early life. I left probably around like 11 or, or so, or my family, I should say, left mm-hmm. that church. And we moved over to non-denominational Christianity. And that's where I spent most of my formative, like, research and teenage years. Um, very much evangelical, very much just another hand of the Baptist church and, you know, purity culture, gay is bad, all those things that they're pumping in. And so near that, at the same time, coming to age and finding my sexuality and finding out that, hello, you're a homosexual, um, was pretty hard, especially because I was so into the church like my goal in life was to be a warrior of god it was to be a missionary it was to go out there i really wanted to travel as a missionary and you know bring god to all these hedonistic cultures um and my first real fight with the church my first real head-to-head was when they found out i was gay and they took me off of the first international mission trip that we were planning because in their words, how can you teach God if you're not right with God yourself? And that was kind of the first blow to my, I would want to say my ego, but it was my first like wall where I realized this isn't yeah. a place where I can be accepted. Um, it was the first realization I knew in theory I wouldn't be accepted because of all the anti-gay preaching and because of how this is wrong. But I viewed myself as somebody who was gay but not sinful in that gayness because I was a child. I wasn't out there, you know, having drunken orgies or whatever evangelicals imagine happens. So I was like, I'm not them. I just happen to like men. It's different. So I I learned quickly that it's all the same in their eyes. And then I had to start thinking through what it means to be Christian, what it means to be gay, what, what did this, the text actually say, do I trust them that I'm a bad person? And to me, that answer was no, I'm not a bad person. So where are they getting this from? And that's when I really started researching and studying the Bible on my own outside of just what was happening in Sunday school. And that, that would be, I guess, what I'd consider the start of my deconstruction. And I was like 13. <laughs> yes. And so at what age did you realize that you were gay? Yeah, so I came out when I was 13, but I realized probably somewhere around the, like, 10-year-old mark, I'd say. I I knew I was gay, but, like, uh, I didn't know how to express that or what that fully meant. Okay, that's interesting. For me, it was, like, 16 years old because, like, I was so really? sheltered. Yeah, it took so long for me. For you, you're like, oh, 13. And, like, oh, okay. <laughs> but it's well, fine. by we- five, I knew I was different, <laughs> but I didn't know anything about sex for obvious reasons. Like, oh, yes. Or maybe not obvious reasons. You should teach your children how procreation happens. But 
yeah at five i just knew i wasn't like all the other guys something felt different and then i finally started putting that in context and like and then i was still a little bit hesitant against it even though i realized at 10 took me until at least 13 to be like okay maybe i'm bi Mm -hmm. and then from there i had my first relationship with a boy at the same age and i realized oh no i'm just gay there's there's no reason to run from it i guess (laughs) (laughs) and so how did that affect you from then on being in the church and having that as a secret um so it wasn't a secret very long i was probably only closeted from the time i realized i was gay i started dating a guy like the next week and then oh wow making it was a fast experience yeah and then um, by that time, I was probably only in the closet for another five or six months until my school outed me to my parents. Oh, no, I'm and, sorry. Yeah, that was fun. Um, t- totally illegal, by the way, at least in California. But uh, they turned to my pastor. So then they outed me to the pastor in church because they were seeking counsel on how uh. to deal with this gay son. And um, so I wasn't in the closet very long for so how did your school find out about your sexuality oh well okay so my boyfriend at the time we were in band together and we were very much open i guess about it on campus so we would walk around holding hands you know like kiss outside the band room what have you nothing crazy but like a peck on the lips and then go off our separate ways to a class um so with campus monitors and teachers and everything, they're very much aware, let alone the kids who talk about every little thing that they see drama-wise. Uh, it was very apparent because we were the only gay kids there at the time. There, He was technically bi, but we were the only ones that were open and in a relationship and just gay in general. So uh, we had everyone's attention on us and the school decided that it was in my best interest and in my safety to tell my parents so that we could come together on a resolution to like not have a boyfriend, let alone PDA on campus Uh. and to keep it to myself, not tell anybody that I'm gay because they had a hate crime four years previously, somebody who just graduated as a senior, um, which is why I was the only gay one left but he was hospitalized in like his junior or sophomore year or something and was beaten to the point of like almost dying because he was out and gay. So they were worried that I would be killed in Mm. this small homophobic town. And that's why they decided it wasn't illegal to share those things with my parents without permission. They thought it was a means that, you know, cause that out to the means means that out to the cause however you want to put it <laughs> yeah and like that is so upsetting that they would do that because as of course everyone knows in florida they have the don't say gay bill that passed yeah. and so teachers can legally tell parents that or they have to they're required, or, or have like, to as, are required. as wow. a mandated reporter this is now law yeah Ugh. it's so sad it is ridiculous and it's like it's so annoying how the governor of florida he said oh this is about parents rights 
And it's like, okay, well, what about children's rights and their autonomy? <laughs> they don't have any, apparently, no. is what we're learning. Children are not their own person, and they do not have their own thoughts, and they can't read their own books. They're... It's, I know, it's ridiculous to me. And, you know, looking at that, it really has that really, like, Christian um, ideology, that's behind it because when seeing that I'm like oh well that's really similar to really how my parents raised me like they were very careful about what books they let me read and what kinds of different tv shows I was exposed to who I hang around like everything was so controlled um, especially like the worldview that they wanted me to have and be indoctrinated with and I'm noticing that with all these conservatives who are trying to push this certain worldview onto kids and it's so interesting because they'll accuse all these teachers in schools of trying to indoctrinate students and they're like no let us indoctrinate they're very good at saying exactly what they hate and then turning around and doing it <laughs> yeah it's, i'm trying to it's... think of like there's a logical fallacy i feel like that is i feel like that's maybe the straw man misrepresenting someone maybe i don't know that it's might be close it. there, there is one for it i just don't know what it is i i that's funny you say that because i googled a list of fallacies the other day and i didn't realize how many fallacies there are like i know mm -hmm. there's so no many. true scotsman and i know like the straw man fallacy and I, there's the fallacy fallacy and then there's a secondary fallacy fallacy and i was like okay y'all need wow. to calm down yeah it's where you use a fallacy to misrepresent the fallacy you're talking about. Oh like my gosh. There's a list of like 70 plus fallacies and I was reading up on all of them and I was like, this is fans, uh, like it's very, uh, I don't want to say fantastic, it's very interesting, but it's so much that like, I don't think we can have a conversation without having a fallacy in it. But <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> um. The thing about the don't say gay bill, though, is like it's so dangerous. And that's and it's in Texas as well, where like, you know, you have to out trans kids to their parents. Oh. And it's so scary. I had parents who weren't violent um, and I'm very lucky in that way. But given if they were just a little bit more extremist, like they, they sent me to ex-gay counseling and tried to do the conversion therapy route. And again, because it's California, it's very benign. It was just like talk therapy and group therapy and all these things. Had it been in a different state, it could have been electroshock therapy. It could have been these really dangerous ways of doing it. Um, or I could have been kicked out on the street if my parents were more extremists. Or I could have been beaten up by my father if he was more extremist. So for them to just assume that all these parents will take care of their kids and help their kids get on the right path is so scary because there's so many abuse cases. Yes. And I think the issue with the parental rights things is that there's an assumption or presupposition behind parental rights is assuming that the parents want to do what is good and right for the child, which is right. really not true <laughs> right. at all. And it's sad that a lot of parents really don't do what's best for their children. And, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of great parents out there. And I'd be curious to know, like, what percentage we have in America of parents who are actually abusive um, to mm. their children. Like, I know that is hard to track because there's, like, domestic abuse. And then there's, like... Um, like emotional, psychological abuse. I feel like psychological and emotional abuse is something that's really extremely hard to even track 
But yeah. I think it's so prevalent, especially in these religious environments. And really, I guess what I've learned and what I've really thought about is that like spiritual and psychological abuse is so normalized in these fundamentalist and extremist churches. Like it's just, it's just so normal. Like it's the way that these preachers were taught to preach and, Mm -hmm. and members are just shamed is that you're supposed to take this, this like psychological whipping basically. It's how they, it's a basis of control. And it's Mm -hmm. really, it's really the foundation that modern evangelical churches are built on. Because that's how you keep people in the pews. You know, you have to teach people not to question the authority. Mm-hmm. You have to teach them that there's a hierarchy of authority because it's like you and then church volunteers and then associate pastors and then pastors and then like God. So mm-hmm. like the you're taught that this is authority and this is what authority says and you don't question authority because then you're questioning God. And it's yeah, it's, it's very much ripe with abuse. And we see that a lot too in all these different churches that have sexual abuse cases coming out because mm-hmm. the type of people I believe that are attracted to that sort of power, that position of power to hold over people are the same people that you find to abuse people sexually. And it, it doesn't ever surprise me when a pastor comes out with a sex abuse case because I'm like, takes a certain kind of person to want to have that control. So yeah, that tracks. Oh yeah. It's like, I would say the same thing too, because I'm not sure if you're aware of um, the preacher boys podcast, but Mm -hmm. they basically started, I think it's around two years ago, basically, but they specifically expose um, abuse in in IFB churches, which is independent fundamental Baptist, which is the kind of church that I grew up in. And like a mm-hmm. friend told me about it. They're like, hey, there's this podcast that literally covers IFB abuse. I was like, oh my gosh, like, are you serious? Like someone actually gives a shit about us? Like what? <laughs> because sure a lot of people care about you. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. But it's just the IFB um, is such a thing that's like hidden from society. Right. Um, because basically, like obviously, like it's independent. We're not, all these churches, they're not connected to this bigger organization Mm -hmm. they all do their own thing however they want yep and there's no regulation whatsoever of any kind question uh would westboro baptist be considered ifb because they consider themselves baptist but they're not part of the baptist convention oh they would be an independent fundamental baptist most definitely yeah very okay so then let's just look at them as a prime example (laughs) doing their own thing Yes. Yeah. So basically, yeah. So it's like Baptists who are like, we don't want to be a part of anyone trying to control us whatsoever. And what's right. similar in a lot of these environments, and I, I don't think that all IFB churches are exactly the same. I'm sure. I think they're all generally pretty unhealthy, but I think mm-hmm. there's the spectrum of, you know, unhealthy to extremely unhealthy to abusive and you can even right. mix spiritual abuse emotional abuse and even in the it's a sliding the scale of radicalization yes most definitely and uh, what's similar in these environments is that number one you know and even religious in general it's like we we have the truth 
and we can interpret the truth correctly. And yeah. like women are subjugated and children are kind of really seen as property, even though it might not be explicitly said, but through mm-hmm. actions, it's definitely that way. And, you know, men are always in control um, of yep. everything. And, you know, even a lot of IFB churches are like KJV only, which I think is so ridiculous. But yeah. which I, I grew up in that kind of church. And, of course, like women are really controlled of like especially what they wear too yeah. in these churches, most definitely. And Which is kind of a cult. When yeah, it is it cold. It's controlling <laughs> yes. who you're interacting with socially. It's controlling what you wear and your actions. It's putting in positions of authority and dehumanizing those who are not in that position. It's a cult. Yes, yeah, so definitely. <laughs> and so, you know, after that experience that you had with being basically like banned from a mission trip, what other negative and traumatic experiences happened to you in the church? So uh, that was probably the big one. And and I mentioned on, or a couple seconds ago that we also had the whole conversion therapy situation between my family and I. And those, those two things were probably the, like straw that broke the camel's back for me and for my relation with the church. Um, just because the therapy sessions were so focused on obviously my sexuality that again, didn't really exist at 13. Just the fact that I was attracted to men in my head, just the thought crime of it was the focus because it's not as if I were, you know, promiscuous and doing all these things, but this was then trying to save me from a life of promiscuity and depression and the way that they went about that was very much, I guess, just like an attack on my psyche without understanding my psyche, which is very weird. And there's one thing that I always quote about, uh, just like a sum, a summary of my experience is we had, I had three different therapy sessions once a week in a town three hours away. Like that's how desperate we were to get there. So we had a single one-on-one therapy session for an hour. And then we have a family session for an hour with me and my parents. And then we'd have a group session with me and like 10 other guys uh, for an hour. And in that group session, I was the only gay one because it wasn't strictly an ex-gay program. It was just a sexual problem program. So I was the only gay one. There were some other guys there with like porn addiction and um, sex addiction, I guess, which I don't know if you could really have at 13. But there was another guy who I think he was like 14 or so. And he was in there because he abused, he sexually abused his sister, his younger sister, when he was like 13 and she was four. And we're all talking. And just like any other rehab program, you have to share these stories out loud. So he went over the details of his assault and the very next session when it was one-on-one with me and the counselor, she was like, see, and here's the problem. This kid, X name, even though he abused and raped his sister, God is going to hold him more forgivably because he can come and ask for repentance and understanding because that was a one-time thing. And God will accept him more than he accepts you because at least it was with a woman. Oh my gosh. You are still attracted to men and you're every day going to be attracted to men and having to repent for that. So you're 
sin is ongoing while his sin was one time. That's the severity of it. I was like that. That is fucked up. Like he violated and traumatized someone, and you're just existing. I'm just existing, and I was the child of sexual abuse. I was abused when I was four or five, so even the age hit really close to home. And mm-hmm. I was like, I am as bad as an abuser. Like that's I know what abusers put their victims through, and for me to never even have had sex at that point no sexual intercourse Mm -hmm. uh that relation was that's when i woke up and realized this place is whack (laughs) like this is not good this is not a good place (laughs) yes definitely and you know i think it's it's really sad you know when i talk with different lgbtq plus people and hear stories of sexual abuse that has happened mm-hmm. to them and like you know sadly i've even ho- had my own experience uh with sexual abuse growing up and yeah. i always was scared of it and i was afraid to talk about it because these extreme christians love to take this fact that a lot of us were sexually abused and they'll be like oh this is the that's problem. why you're gay you're yeah. you were sexually abused so this is why you're so fucked up like oh my gosh because that's their view and, you know, I talked um, recently, uh, his name is George Azar. He has the My Gay Church Days um, oh, yeah. account. I, I love, love him. Oh, okay. yes. He's so great. But um, basically, you know, he made, we were talking about this in his podcast. He was like, you know, he's like, I think that these adults see that vulnerability in us and that thing that mm. makes us different. And they see that it it makes us separated from the community and kind of isolated. And I think that they prey upon that. And, you know, most definitely. And like, I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, like he definitely noticed something that I was completely unaware of to myself Mm -hmm. because I was just a child and, you know, I wasn't educated on any kind of sex education whatsoever in any aspect. And so... You know, I unfortunately, like, went into biblical counseling to change my sexuality around in college just to try to avoid getting kicked out, basically. And, yeah, yeah but I end up getting getting kicked out anyways, but it's fine, whatever, yeah, <laughs> I know, but, whoo, but it was, it's all good. I actually just got accepted into another college today, so I'm going to finish my bachelor's and become a psychologist and bring, bring down the church for its trauma that it's caused so yes. many people fuck them yes <laughs> i love that i support you fully oh uh, thank you yes like i cannot wait uh to start like doing all this research into religious trauma and all these different things and i have all this data but anyways it's I could such an unknown home. field a lot of people don't yes, know that unless you is. start like looking into it there's very few religious trauma counselors there's very mm-hmm. few just like recognized studies on it it's it's Mm -hmm. it's like the untalked about trauma that nobody wants to admit because we very much live in this world where christianity is like a good thing a positive thing for society Mm -hmm. so it's almost taboo to look into how it could be hurting us it's like the untouchable like you're not allowed to like Mm -hmm. mess with it or question it and so you know it just for like I said in that biblical counseling, like I never told that counselor that I had an instance of sexual abuse because I knew immediately 
that mm-hmm. he would just say that, oh, that's it, that's why you're just, it totally messed you up, and that's why. And, you know, even though... Which, they, even they, if you did, like, I would give it to them. I'd say, yes, I'm gay because I I was abused. Now what? Like, I understand <laughs> yeah. that they're going to want to weaponize that and be like, see, it's not you. It's not that you are mm-hmm. gay. It's that this thing happened to you, and we need to break through what happened to you. But at the same time, I would argue back like this thing is unchangeable this thing happened and now here we are mm-hmm. the yeah. end let's say it was yeah. environmental let's say that yeah. it wasn't genetic let's say that i was caused because my parents raised me in a certain way and what do you want me to do go back in time and undo it yeah because <laughs> that's not gonna work friend <laughs> and like there's no proof of any kind of therapy i hate the word therapy in that area for that it's not therapy it's abuse but any kind of that kind of abuse method that can change sexuality and Mm -hmm. it always irks me when there are these authors or people will be like i'm changed i'm an ex-gay like i'm straight now and i was even given a book by this counselor which i cut up and threw away it was so satisfying after i read it but anyways so after reading it, this guy goes on and on to tell about how he, you know, in quotes, overcame homosexuality. And even in the end of the book, he's like, yes, he's like, I still have homosexual urges today. And I'm like, then why are you telling me you're completely changed? You're just repressing yourself. Like, this is That's such it. bullshit. That's all you're doing. I had the same conversation in my conversion therapy group. Not group, but when I was doing the one-on-one again, there was, uh, the woman was like the main counselor not licensed because you can't be licensed and have a religious service um and she had this like protege this intern with her for every session and he was i think like 24 at the time and he was like a success story he went through the same program and was inspired so now he's interning to learn how to become his own counselor person and so like one of the very first sessions that we had he went over his past and his story and how he overcame sexuality or homosexuality sorry and my first question was okay so you're no longer gay and he's like I'm no longer gay and I was like do you have a wife and he said I do not have a wife and he said are you in a relationship with a girl and he said I'm not in a relationship right now no I'm like are you sexually attracted to women and he's like, I'm not currently sexually attracted to women. I It's something I'm still working on, but I hope <laughs> to get there. I'm like, how long have you been in these therapy sessions? And he's like, I started when I was 15. And I was like, okay, so 15 to 24, that's nine years. You've been paying wow. at least $100 a week for nine years to take these therapy sessions. And you're not attracted to women. You don't have a wife or girlfriend. And that to you is successful? And he's like, well... I was like, are you still attracted to men? And he's like, well, I am still attracted to men, but now I no longer have sex with men. And I was like, okay, so you're celibate and gay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You're still attracted to men and you're just not having sex. Anyone can do that. Literally anyone can just not have sex. That does not take $100 a week times however many weeks in the year times nine years, thousands of dollars you spent oh, to just not have sex. What a waste. Yeah. Oh. You're, not, you're not cured, my dude. You're not what? cured. You're just mm. keeping it in your pants. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is such a tragic waste of money. And really, like the abuse he endured 
at yeah. this place. And so, you know, the next question is about red flags, but it sounds like you're naming a bunch of red flags already about this place. They clearly have, like, bigoted views of gay people where you were made to seem worse than an abuser just for yeah. existing. And so were there other major red flags in this environment? So, I mean, the the whole, like, therapy thing was a red flag in and of itself um but that was not related to my church in any way so at that time I was still very much trying to reconcile my faith with my sexuality and I was able to go back to the non-denominational church and still feel accepted if not othered it wasn't um in that scenario at least in that church it wasn't as if I were a bad person it was more seen like I was an alcoholic or something, you know, like this is something that Jagaza struggles with, but Jagaza is not his sexuality. It is his demon that he has, that he has to fight. It's his fight that he has to go against. So it was always like, I still convinced myself that I was a part of the group. Um, the red flags is how it was like a platform to them, especially in youth group settings. They didn't come up in the greater sermon for the whole church but in youth groups I'd feel myself often being like the target of the discussion because I would be the only gay one there and for whatever reason evangelical youth groups are obsessed with two things and it's homosexuality and staying a virgin so there's a lot of conversations that ended up on gay uh being a topic and it was always like he's gay, he's fighting this, we need to support our brother, we always have to focus on, like, I was always the example kid, and that was a red flag to me, because uh, it's it's kind of inconsensual when people use you as a prime example for what to do or what not to do, and I realized that even though I'm still part of this group, I'm very much seen as other still there was very much a focus on sexuality as compared to my humanity um so i think that would be another red flag when you're the subject instead of the student <laughs> yeah so it seemed like you were definitely like looked down upon and seen as less than really than other people and say that it's like less than as much as it was tokenized oh it was tokenized. almost like it was i'm a fun real world example of what's wrong with the world <laughs> oh no that's sad oh no <laughs> and so when did you actually start to deconstruct you know start questioning yes. be like you know what maybe there's something wrong about this stuff yeah so i mean the conversion therapy was a big one because then that, like I said, it spurred me to start reading and studying mm -hmm. outside sources um, to see if I could find more, I don't want to say educated, but educated to find more mm -hmm. like scholarly input on the subject and see how they really viewed it. Um, at that time, I still even wasn't really heavy into looking at uh, like the clobber verses in the original language and I wasn't really trying to break down the history of the Bible I was just really more looking for sources of people who had gone through the same thing who have held both their faith and their sexuality despite what the church says as being holy things and so I was really focused on that because I was determined determined to be <laughs> the best gay to be like the prime example that you don't have to hate your life and can still be a good Christian. Like 
I was still committed to saving myself for marriage in terms of having sex for the first time. I still wanted to do all the traditional things. And I think the deconstruction came by accident. And it's actually um, kind of a funny story because while I was like holding on to all these things, I was also in a fight with my best friend. I wouldn't say it's a fight, but like we were in a debate. Uh, she was Mormon. And so she very much wanted me to convert to Mormonism. And we were evangelizing towards each other, proselytizing against each other on a daily basis. We'd have like hour phone conversations after school talking about religion. And so of course I thought she was wrong. She thought I was wrong. I was like, have you even read the Bible? And she was like, we use, we're Christians. We use the Bible, but I've only read the full thing of the Book of Mormon. She's like, have you ever read the Book of Mormon? And I was like, I've never picked it up. So she's like, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna swap and have like a, a Bible study. I'll go back and start reading all the Bible. You, here's a Book of Mormon, start reading the Book of Mormon and we can talk about it. You can explain what I'm reading and then I'll explain what you're reading. And we did that for a couple of weeks probably. And it, it ended up breaking up our relationship as friends because she started having what they call the spooky Mormon hell dreams, like from the Book of Mormon, the musical, very much a real thing. Mormons oh. dream very intensely. And she had a lot of dreams that she was in hell and Satan was telling her that Mormonism was wrong this whole time. She told her mom and her mom was like, okay, like this kid is a negative influence into your life. You have to cut him off. So she was no longer allowed to talk to me, um, which was sad. I hate losing friends over something stupid. But during that time, I learned a lot about Mormonism and I learned a lot about the aspects of control and mm. how they use it to try to keep people tied into the religion. Um, these new texts written in the 1800s that had very similar rhetoric and patterns that are used in the Bible mm -hmm. uh, made me question like this is obviously stupid like looking at the Book of Mormon being like that's dumb like why would an angel say x y and z why would God say x y and z and then going back to the Bible and referencing it and being like I can't call the Book of Mormon dumb for these reasons and then turn around and say that the Bible is correct because it's the exact same thing when different verses and different ways of explaining it but mm -hmm. it's the same exact logic and the same tools that are used for control so yeah by seeing it in another religion i saw it in my own and that mm. that's like the big deconstruction moment for me i think oh yes most definitely like for me when i started getting out and i started like i wanted to study other religions and truly understand them and like really a big part of me of like being in biblical counseling was I was really being discipled because I really truly wanted to learn what it really meant to them at least mm -hmm. their interpretation what it meant to be a Christian yeah. and for me it was like weighing the cost and benefit type thing and you know I'm like you know is this something that is actually genuine to me and like really mm. like analyzing myself I'm like was this just something I conform to to adapt mm -hmm. to my environment do I actually care about this is this actually making my life better is it making me a better person am I happier and yeah. do I want to be in this the rest of my life and you know after like um I'm gonna say a semester which is like three months of biblical counseling and what that counselor didn't know what he was really doing was he really convinced me to not be a Christian. And 
That was the opposite irony. of what he wanted. Yes. Pure irony. <laughs> and so I'm like, he. I never said that to him, but after our last session, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I definitely, like, this is so miserable. And when I really finally realized, as I tried to get through the indoctrination, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can be a good person without claiming to be a Christian. Who knew? Isn't that novel? What a concept. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. And that's, I think that is like the biggest crime of Christianity. They've had a lot of crimes. Yes. But I think the biggest crime of Christianity is the way that they've convinced the population that to be a good person, you have to be a Christian. Or mm -hmm. just the fact that being a Christian automatically uh, prescribes you some kind of moral plus mm -hmm. as compared to just non-believers or people of other faiths. And like, we see it in the criminal justice system all the time. People are like, I was a criminal and then I got into jail and I started reading the Bible and now <laughs> I'm a Christian. Like, okay, but you're still a criminal. Like being yeah. a Christian doesn't take away what you've done or who, what you might do in the future, but they use that as an argument for appeal and they use that mm -hmm. for, you know, probation. And it works because we've been fed this fallacy, this lie that just saying out loud you're a Christian makes you better. Mm -hmm. It's like a status symbol. It's a status symbol. Yeah. It's like, look at me, I'm a Christian. Oh my gosh. It's so Bow down like, to me. Not what faith or belief is about. It's it's like being part of a club more than it is about believing. And that's terrifying to me. And it's so interesting because for me, experiencing religious trauma, like, I think of it the opposite way. If someone says to me they're a Christian, I automatically want to get as far away as possible from them. Because I just have that. Yeah, I, now. <laughs> yes. Sure. I have that, like, triggering in me. Just and like, ding, 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 ding. I'm yeah. like, no, run. <laughs> and, like, you know, hearing my parents be like, oh, they're a Christian. They're a good person. When someone, when I heard someone was a Christian, I imagined someone who was very bigoted and discriminatory against people and really like i really saw how people use religion to justify hate and you know what that reminds me of it reminds me of how now after trump's campaign or trump's presidency i'm very much triggered at the sight of the american flag oh like, my the american flag now i'm like Ugh. they must be a bad person they must be a racist they must like if someone has a flag on their truck like avoid at all cost which is so disheartening the fact that they've taken a symbol that we could all be and somehow made it uh, the opposition it's yes. so weird and i think it is really sad and really somehow i think really trump he he was or is really still a nationalist oh, yeah. and most definitely and you know i think well i, I know most definitely his a bad behavior like if he would have been generally a good person and was a nationalist i think it would have been fine like yes let's help our country and then help other people but still though it's like oh mm, nationalism is always dangerous i, I think and it can be most definitely yeah. and so and he's we... another prime example of how christianity is used as a tool for power and control because like you cannot look at me dead in the eyes and tell me that trump is a christian <laughs> he is not do, do you There's, remember the no do you remember the photo op with him holding the bible <laughs> outside the church upside down and there's also like an interview i think where um 
somebody asked him like what's your favorite what's your favorite bible verse and he was like all of them they're all oh my so good. gosh that sounds like and sarah like, palin <laughs> yeah and they're like do you have a favorite book of the bible and he was like i uh i really like the ones with jesus in it jesus was a good guy and they're like you can't even just name one of the four Gospels. Like, like you wouldn't think Mike Pence would just sit down with him and train him a little bit. Jesus, right? Oh, my God. It's so bad. Because Mike Pence, oh, my gosh. He was such a conservative, extremist Christian, really. And at Bob Jones University, I knew a professor who was friends with him and knew him. And I was like, no, like the connections here. No, please don't. Way too close. We're way too close. No, like, my one of my fears was, like, seeing Mike Pence on Bob Jones' campus randomly. Because oh, he seems like the kind of person they would invite to speak, yeah. most definitely. But thankfully, that never happened. I think, like, the only famous people I remember us having, I wasn't there at the time, but it was Tim Tebow that <laughs> they had at Bob Jones. That, <laughs> sounds that sounds right. right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, I'm trying to remember, like, and years ago, when George Bush was running for um, his presidency, but it was so funny because, like, after George Bush went to Bob Jones, it really it was really sad that Bob Jones lifted their interracial dating ban in two thousand. Wow! Because like, and yeah. people people were upset that George Bush was going to this racist university. Like, it's two thousand, and this university has an interracial dating ban. Like, you're ruining your reputation by even stepping foot. I didn't it. even know they could legally do that in two thousand. Like, how did they not get slammed by like some kind of lawsuit? I think basically, it's private. They, they it was private. They weren't funded by the government. And they weren't yeah. acc- they weren't accredited at that time. I don't think either. really. And so, which is not. And you good. put your money into something that's not even accredited. I know it's so sad, but thankfully they are accredited now. Thank God. And really, that's why. Not literally, though. I hate it that I still see that phrase. Ugh. Deconstructing. Literally? Ugh. Or the no. thank God. Oh. And I, I just... thank God all the time. It's alright. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like I catch myself saying certain things. I'm like, no, we don't say that anymore. <laughs> we don't. Say that. <laughs> um, I think it's one of those things too. Like you have to realize if you don't think it has power, it it doesn't. Like that's true. You know, it's just in the vernacular, so it's it's okay. <laughs> oh, okay, awesome. I think. But um, I lost. Oh yeah. So basically, my parents wanted me to go to Pensacola Christian College, which is like two times worse than Bob Jones University, and mm. Pensacola isn't even accredited and. Basically, my parents were like, oh, okay, like, we'll only pay for college if it's a Christian university that's super conservative and all this shit. Uh, and so I was like... parents do that. Mm. And so I was like... And I was literally just trying to find a legit Christian college that has that's accredited and that has a wide range of majors, which is really hard to find. And so Bob Jones was on that list that, like, they have 100-plus majors there, which I was impressed by, and they were accredited. So I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, okay. I've seen a video from the 90s talking about all their programs. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, you should look it up. Oh, it's fabulous. No. I need to. Must have They're like, we have it. music programs, and, like, everyone in every song in this video was made here at Bob Jones. And this is our visual effects department. Look, lightning shooting out of my hands. Like, it's so good. It's so funny. <laughs> I will definitely check that out after this. Um, but, um, you know, in 
your experiences in environment, what major lessons did you learn along the way? Major lessons. We need any more specificity. What, what, in what? <laughs> and okay, so I guess let's say because of these crucial experiences that you had, and I guess and say for conversion therapy or being mm. outed or experiences in religion, what big things? I guess, you know, like my parents always told me, you can learn two things from people, what to do and what not to do. So I guess, um, really, what did you learn not to do? <laughs> um, that's a hard one. But I'd say because of, like, the environment, because of what was going on in my teenage years, I learned to really um, evaluate myself, evaluate not not only my emotions, but just like evaluate my my opinions on things. And I think that's probably the biggest takeaway that I had. I see now even a lot of people who are very much to not sound like the right sheep who who follow things and they don't know why they followed them. So I learned at a younger age to question everything, whether that's question authority, question the media, question just what's being taught and why it's being taught and how it's being taught. And then to take back and evaluate what that means for me. And do I actually believe X, Y, and Z? Or am I being told to believe X, Y, and Z? So it's opened up more opportunity for me to, I guess, empathize and connect with other people on different issues. Because we all have biases. We all have knee-jerk reactions to what we think we believe. But it allows me to research outside of that, to, to hold different opinions and different sources in my research to look at multiple facets of the same issue. And there's a lot of things where like, I am very much, I want to consider myself in the middle. There's very much things that I have emotional response to, but I'm now allowed to see multiple sides of the same issue because I can understand where other people are coming from and then reconcile that with how I actually feel. And I think that's probably the biggest, um, lesson I got from that and I think that is so crucial to learning to see different perspectives imagine if everyone in the world was able to put themselves in someone else's shoes and imagine their perspective the world would be, would be so much different and so much better place yeah and I think really being able to see different perspectives is really a part of psychological development and really maturity i think mm -hmm. and as i've learned and i've really seen how these religions and christianity has stunted a lot of emotional yep. psychological and intellectual growth and so these sadly these people who are adults but have a mind of like maybe like let's say there's a younger teenager because they just never develop past this point of thinking yeah. And it's really tragic to see, and it's really what I've realized and noticed as I grew up. And, you know, I've always loved learning, but I feel like that has pushed me to learn more. Because I'm like, mm -hmm. I really don't want to ever come to the point where I think my point of view is 100% right. And I'm never, ever going to try to understand someone else's perspective and just close myself off from everything. It's right. like, no, like... I want to understand everyone and everything that I like possibly can so that we can all get along and to like, so I can connect with them because mm -hmm. we're always going to meet people that think differently and believe differently than us. And like, that's fine. Like, why is that such a big deal? Yeah. And growing up, um, it has, it was really hard for me to leave that environment because 
you're always told that everyone outside is so wicked and so evil and that, mm-hmm. you know, they're like, oh, if you want to leave or you don't enjoy being in this environment, then maybe you're not saved or really Christian. Maybe you're going to burn in hell forever. So like, there's all this fear to really conform and stay in there. Yeah. And just to keep you from interacting and even it's the like, in group versus the out group. It's, oh, yes. Us versus them kind of. It's mindset. a total power mechanism. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so the thing that was hard for me to leave was because I was always told, like, you know, we are Christians. We are more loving and kind. The world, they're so evil. Like, they will rip you apart. They will break you. And <laughs> that irony. <again. laughs> yes, they did all of those things to me. But. You know, I didn't know of anything outside of that church. And then I was like, you know what? I'm like, how can the world be worse than this? Like, this is an actual psychological personal hell that I'm living in. Like, if the world is worse than this, then I am doomed. But I have to try to find something better. And, you know, speaking of, like, being trapped in these environments, what advice do you have for people who are stuck in these toxic religious environments? I think you should stay, ride it out. It'll be cool when you're 80. You'll be happy you did it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, sarcasm. We love it. It's sarcasm. <laughs> when it depends, it's a hard question because everything is so situational, but I always say it depends on your age. It depends on really what kind of structure system you have in place. Like I say the same thing about being gay or being queer and coming out like if you are in a situation that is unhealthy abusive or potentially physically dangerous conform do what you need to do much like you said at the beginning of the episode you need to do what you have to do to survive and your physical safety comes first uh, so i would never recommend anybody who's in a strict christian household where it's like my way or the highway decide to come out and say that they are questioning or agnostic because that's how you end up homeless. Same with your sexuality. Um, God forbid you actually get hurt or have a physically abusive parent who will beat you for these things. Make sure that you know for certain, even if your family doesn't accept you, that's fine. But if you know for certain that they're going to be abusive or take away things like food privileges and stuff, do not do it. It's not worth it you can get there when you're older um once you are older and you have your own money you have your own job i say the time is now a lot of people Mm. will hold on and just be like afraid because they don't know what's gonna happen and the unknown is terrifying we all Mm. hate change it's a human condition Mm -hmm. but the sooner you can start that change the better because you are just going to keep yourself depressed you're going to keep yourself Mm, from experiencing the world getting to have these new connections like we're talking about getting to learn from other people if you're not able to step outside of yourself and step outside of that comfort zone you're just robbing yourself of time we only have so much time so the time is now to start exploring your thoughts and exploring different things Oh, yes. Love that. Um, And so, you know, what I would say to that is these systems are designed to keep you trapped inside and which makes it so hard to leave because it's your whole world. It's your friends, your family, and a lot of the times even your school. And, Mm -hmm. you know, what I would suggest is that we have the wonderful thing called the Internet and (laughs) <laughs> if you don't know that, 
and you know i know not always all religious children have access to the internet sadly but if you're listening and you do start like networking or reaching out to other people and making friends finding online communities to connect with and even in your hometown research different communities you can meet like in person and mm-hmm. different things because like for me that's how i escaped was while i was still in the fold secretly socializing with people outside of the fold yeah. um basically which is really how i got away and you know for me my deconstruction journey really started around like 16 and 17 and i escaped at 22 and like you know it was a slow process because at 17 like i knew i'm like i have to leave but mm-hmm. i also had to like survive too like you were saying so for me uh you know you'll have to learn different coping mechanisms to Mm -hmm. deal with these things and there are activities like there are times like we're like you know what i need to go to a park or a coffee shop all by myself like if you can and just get away because your nervous system is so dysregulated in these environments and you're put so much under so much stress and there's so much psychological trauma and so, you know, really... Just being still with your own emotions and your own thoughts to finally process them is very, very much a helpful tool, I think. Oh, yes. And so, like, what these religions do, too, is they really disconnect us from ourselves. Yep. It's really, it's like self-sabotage. So, like, when we can't connect to ourselves, how can we know our needs? How can we know what we want? And how can we even meet those needs we can't? And when we're disconnected from ourselves, how can we connect with others? So it's just this mm-hmm. terrible cycle of just being trapped and it's and, written into the book. It's written yes. into the book to not trust your heart. It says your heart is probably wrong because it's not what's being told to you. <laughs> and yeah, most definitely. So I would say, you know, do it safe and find that community. And, you know, even though I know it's hard to be respectful and kind to people who have basically psychological or even abused you like mm-hmm. as i left i tried to be as respectful to my parents and other people as i could like i still stood my yeah. ground and stood up for myself but i did it respectfully yeah. um because you just don't want to add gasoline to the fire really um, absolutely when you leave this environment so do it in the best way you can and i would add on to that too because i've had so many people ask me you know like don't you don't you hate your parents for what they put you through don't you hate the fact that they dragged you into therapy to try to convert you. Don't you hate how they didn't stick up for their child and they just let the church be kind of superseding the parent. Um, And I've always answered no. Like right now I have a great relationship with both my mother and my father um, because I fought against it so hard. And, you know, I was like, I'm never changing better, better love me or do nothing. Um, But outside of that, it's because as I said, stepping out and realizing and researching and reading different perspectives on things also allowed me to really understand that what they were doing was the best thing that they thought they could do. It was Mm -hmm. in their view, Mm -hmm. so much love and so much trying to save my soul, which for somebody who's also a product of indoctrination Mm -hmm. can be terrifying. And if they haven't undone that indoctrination in themselves, of course they're going to pass it on and react in a certain way. And so it's just very much understanding that they didn't do it because they hated me. They did it because they themselves were confused and lost. Mm-hmm. And when you see it like that and you empathize with it, it's a lot easier to understand and not be 
angry or vindictive, but just understand that they're broken because the church made them broken. Yes, and like I would definitely agree too because that's what's really helped me also keep a relationship with my parents intact at least is to really put myself in their shoes and be like, you know what? Like they were raised in this in the 80s and they had no possible out access to any kind of outside information. They were indoctrinated yeah. by their parents. They went to college for this. They, they've dedicated their whole lives to this. So, but not that any of that is justifying anything they did at all to you no, at all. No, of course it's not. not. To make it okay. Of course not. I just want to let mm -hmm. anyone know that out there that it's not justifying it. It's not a free pass. Not a free pass. It's no. just understanding and putting yourself yes. like into the box through like, I was indoctrinated. I remember that feeling. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just want people, though, that like really that throughout your life, empathizing and understanding will make your relationships just so much better and easier. And you know what? Even, you know, I don't know everyone's situation. If your parents greatly abuse you terribly, it's okay to just take a break and not interact with them. And oh, yeah. take care of yourself and what you need to do most definitely. But walking away can be necessary oh, yes. sometimes. Yeah. So like like we we're saying, circumstantial things. And really it comes down to like we said, listening to yourself and mm -hmm. understanding yourself, really. Um but thank you again, Jugasis, for coming on this show. I greatly enjoyed this conversation. I oh. did too. <laughs> yes. It was very nice, very nice. Oh, yes. Like, when you signed up for the show, I was like, yes, I'm having Jigazos on the show. Oh, my God, this is so much fun. Um, but, yeah, thank you again for coming on. And for everyone listening, I'll put his socials in the description. And you can follow his hilarious TikToks and Yay. his Instagram and see the work that he's doing. And this is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. This podcast is distributed by Anchor from Spotify. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Everything you need is in one space. Anchor has the tools to record, edit, and distribute your podcast. And it's all free. Download the Anchor app. Or go to Anchor FM to start creating your own podcast today. Thank you for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Please support the show by sharing, donating, or leaving a review. Your support is much appreciated.